Well, we have been in a series called The Why. Uh, I think it's good to know why you do what you do, why you exist, why you get up in the morning, you know? Uh, and for the last two weeks, we've talked about the why of the church. Not just this church, but it should be the why of every church, really. You remember what that why is? The Great Commission of Jesus. Everyone screamed it at once. It was perfect. It was, we're making progress here. It's good. The why of the church is the Great Commission of Jesus. You remember what that is? He said to go and make disciples, right? Baptizing them, teaching them all the things that I've taught you. But we don't have to do it alone, right? He said, I'll be with you even to the end of the age. Uh, and that is, that is good news for us this morning. Listen, there's a lot of churches that know, I think, what they do. And you can say, hey, what does your church do? And they could, you, they could list it. There's a lot of churches that know maybe even how they do it. They know their staff. They know their vision. Uh, and they know the ministries that take place. But sometimes it's easy for the church to forget the why. And as we've said these last couple of weeks, our why ought to be the very thing that we filter everything we do by. Everything we do ought to be filtered by our, our, our center, our, our objective, which is to make disciples for Christ, right? So this is our third week this week. And uh, we have we've kind of gone, I'm not going to test you this week, don't worry, not too much anyway. But we've kind of read through our vision statement and uh, you may have it memorized or not, but the vision statement of our church says this, South City Church exists to love God and all people by becoming authentic disciples who make disciples for the glory of God and the good of the city. That is the type of culture we want to create here. You know, I've been on a diet for about a month. I've lost 12 or 13 pounds. Pray for me. I had Mexican food in Dallas this week and fell off the wagon a little bit, I'll be honest, my confession. But see, the thing is, is I have a vision for where I want to be. In my heart and in my mind, I want to lose some weight. And so I'm putting one foot in front of the other to get there, right? That's what a vision statement is for his church. We say, this is the people we want to be. These are the things we want to be about, and this is what we want to accomplish for the glory of God and for the good of the city. These are the things. And so we put them out there. Listen, we may not be exactly what our vision statement says today, but we can put it in front of us and we put one foot in front of the other, can't we? And go in the direction of what God wants us to be, the church he wants us to be, the people he wants us to be. South City Church exists to love God and all people by becoming authentic disciples who make disciples for the glory of God and the good of the city. I want to draw your attention this morning to the very first section. You know, we've kind of gone through, we've kind of broken this up, and if you don't know it, our vision statement's down here on your bulletin, you can kind of follow along. And I've even bolded for us the section we're going to look at today. I want to bring your attention to the word becoming. Becoming. You know, this is a, we didn't have to put that word in our vision statement, by the way. We could have said we exist to love God and all people as disciples. I felt like it was important for us to say right off the bat, we are getting there. We are not there yet. We are getting there. We, we're not there yet. Here's the deal. You don't graduate from discipleship. Did you know that? There's no graduate program of discipleship. If there's breath in your lungs, God is doing a work in your heart to transform you into the image of Jesus. 
period. If we're still alive, God's still working on us, and there's things we need to know and, and learn and do and become. And so as a church, collectively, we're hoping that we can become authentic disciples who make disciples. The first thing we need to know to be an authentic disciple is you got to be teachable. we got to say, listen, we don't know it all. We, we don't know everything there is to know. We serve an infinite God with finite brains, right? And we can't know it all, but we're going to do our best. We're going to do our best. Listen, there's probably going to be a time where some of you are going to come to me and you might have a question. You might need me to explain something to you and I go, I don't know. There's a really good chance of that, by the way, okay? Just putting it out there. But you know what? I can pray with you. I can help us find answers. There may be even times where I tell you something and it's wrong. I'm human. And we make mistakes. But you know what? We can walk together. And I think that's the point, that we journey together and become the disciples that God wants us to become. I don't know about you, but I can't stand know-it-alls. They drive me crazy. And no pointing, by the way, today. If you know somebody who's a know-it-all, you know, you're, you're thinking about them right now in your mind. Uh, they're not necessarily the funnest people to be around. But here's the sad truth. Man, there's a lot of preachers and pastors that are know-it-alls. There's a bunch of them. And it's, I don't know why, something about the makeup of pastors and preachers sometimes can feel like we can answer all questions at all times to all people. We can't. We can't. And the reality is they're not people who know it all. You know that cousin that's at the reunion that's, he knows everything about your car and everything about your marriage and everything about your job. That guy, you kind of just find yourself, see ya, cousin Eddie, we'll talk later. You know what I mean? You kind of find yourself moving away from those people. They're not approachable. The last thing we want to be is unapproachable because we think we know it all. I, I play golf a little bit. I, haven't, I couldn't even tell you the last time I played, but I, I love golf. I played it since I was in junior high school. And for those of you who play golf, you'll know what I'm talking about. The worst thing in the world is when you get up on the tee box, you're getting ready to hit, you, you hit a ball, it might be a good shot or not, and somebody goes, hey, uh, you know if you just kept your head down, you'd probably hit that straighter. Oh, thank you. You know, if you just didn't turn your wrist over, you'd probably get that, uh, it'd be right down the center. Oh, and then they get up and, of course, it, it does something. And what's worse is at golf courses, sometimes they'll put you with people you don't know. And that's hard to listen to somebody tell you how to play golf for 18 holes. And I usually don't make it all 18. I make it about three, and then we have a conversation about the instruction. But uh, here's the deal, church. We have to have a self-awareness. We have to have a self-awareness to acknowledge that we may not have all the answers. We may be wrong from time to time, but we'll do our best. And we'll walk with you for the answer. Okay? To say we're becoming means that we're not there yet, but we're on our way. We long, we hope, we pray to become mature, fully developed, devoted followers of Jesus. Right? We hope to become authentic disciples who make disciples. This is what the word says in Proverbs about people who know it all. Proverbs 18.2 says, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. You know that guy? Doesn't want to reason. He doesn't want to understand even where you're coming from. He just wants to give you his opinion. Here's a little harsher one. Proverbs 12.1 says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof or correction 
is stupid. If you value, if you value discipline, if you, if you value knowledge, it's a good thing. But if you come to the place in your life where you can't be corrected, Proverbs says you're stupid. In the counsel of many, right, there is wisdom, right? The, the kisses of, 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 of an enemy are deceitful, but the wounds of a friend, they're faithful. That's what the Bible says. We ought to be willing to be wounded. We ought to be willing to be corrected. We ought to be willing to make mistakes and people uh, see that, love us, and help us grow even in our weaknesses and our shortcomings. We exist to love God and all people by becoming, and here's one of my favorite words there is in the, in the language, authentic disciples. Now, listen, I'll be the first to say I probably overuse it, and I know that our culture is definitely overusing the word authentic. And so now we're finding ways to uh, fake authenticity, which is like uh, a double, I don't know what it is. It's, it's weird. But this is, what, this is what the dictionary says about authenticity. It says um, it's being genuine. It's being real. It's a sense of actuality and lack of falsehood or misrepresentation. To be authentic carries the connotation of authoritative confirmation that things or people are what they claim or appear to be. We want to be an authentic church. So when we say that we're trying to follow the Lord with all of our hearts, we want people to be able to go, I think they're really following the Lord with all their hearts. When we say we have a need or an issue, it can be trusted. That's a real need and that's a real issue that they're not sure how to fix. We want to be real. We want to be genuine. I, when I was in high school, some of you may remember this. My parents probably remember this. I used to, I don't know why this was. Well, I think I do. I'll explain it. But I used to love to get dressed up here at church in high school. Some of you may remember, I used to wear like, occasionally I'd wear bow ties. or I even had a seersucker suit. Man, I was looking good. At least I thought I, I was. I, I, I remember I wore white bucks. I loved my white bucks. And I remember my parents went to New York one time, and I said, hey, when you guys go to New York, would you pick me up a, a Gucci watch on the street? I need one of those Gucci. You remember the Gucci watches when they were big? They had a leather strap, kind of like this one. And, uh, but it had like red and green, you know, and uh, I just, oh, I just wanted a Gucci watch. And they did. They were kind enough to oblige me. And I remember wearing that Gucci watch and always talking to people like this. <laughs> oh, did you know? Yeah, it's a... We do this sometimes. We feel like we have this weird need to present an image or a front of being someone or something that we're not, don't we? I know I did. In high school, I did a lot. And here's the reality. There was a duality of my personality. It, 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 was, it was two people. I wanted to present a front like I was ha that I had it together, looked good. And if you could think I looked good, then you would think my life was good. If you thought I, I had it figured out and was, was clean and, and, and maybe I was a good student, I really wasn't that great of a student, or a good Christian, a good leader in the youth group, I put a front up, maybe you might think that. You got a lot of pats on the back. But the inner life, my inner life was a lie. I had put up a front. I had put up a smoke screen for people to think I was something that I was not. And the sad thing here, church, is that it happens a lot in the church of Jesus. 
It happens a lot. And I just want to put in a small little plug here for We're going to talk about small groups in a little bit. This is one of the reasons for small groups. When people love you and know you in small groups, they can go, hey, man, that doesn't seem like you. Why did you feel the need to say dot, dot, dot? Why? We can draw each other into the truth and out of this duality of life if we love really well. We can do that and it not be hurtful. It can be done in love, right? Listen, we, we sometimes don't even realize we're doing it, and that's dangerous. When we come to the place where we're living two lives, you've got your front life for everybody to see, and you've got your inner life that only you see, trust me, you're in a dangerous position. You're in a dangerous position. God's heart is that we be one person, <laughs> even if it's messed up. Even if it's full of brokenness and addiction and struggle, God wants us to own that and be one person, not put up some fake front with a Gucci watch. A fake Gucci watch at that. I think we need a big dose of self-awareness. We need to realize that we don't have to be anything we're not. Stop putting on masks and pretense to impress somebody. Just be who we are. Just own where we're from and just own what we've done. Just own our story. I it was here at, at a temple that I was in my first small group. Marty Kyle, you might, some of you might remember Marty. He was crazy as he could be. But he was honest and he loved really well and he was a small group leader. And he was the first person in that small group that I remember. He said, one time he said, you know what? If I remove the power of some criticism of me, if I go ahead and tell you, hey, listen, just so you guys know, I'm an alcoholic, you can't go, hey, you're an alcoholic, oh, you just said that, yeah, I just said it, you, you remove the power from the accusation. When we can own our stuff, when we can own our junk, when we can own our past and our sin and who we've been and where we're from and what we've done, we can own that stuff, nobody has power over you. You can say, hey, but Jesus is changing me. He's doing a work in me. I don't have to hide this anymore, Right? We can let go of the masks. We can just be honest with where we are in our story. Here's the truth. God can't begin to make you an authentic disciple until you truly have a good understanding of who you really are. And sometimes you can't know who you are without people helping you see it. We have blind spots, and you don't know what you don't know. And it takes people in community to help draw you to the truth sometimes. Jesus warns his disciples about being fake. Luke 12, verse 1, and I'm going to just give you this little side note. A couple of these scriptures this morning are going to be in the message. And the reason I wanted to read them from the message is because many of you have heard these before, and I wanted you to get a fresh perspective on some of these scriptures today, okay? So this is Luke 12, uh, 1 through 3 in the message. It says, but Jesus' pr uh, primary concern was his disciples. He said to them, watch yourselves carefully so you don't get contaminated with Pharisee yeast, Pharisee phoniness. You can't keep your true self hidden forever. Before long, you'll be exposed. You can't hide behind a religious mask forever. Sooner or later, the mask will slip and your true face will be known. You can't whisper one thing in private and preach the opposite in public. The day's coming when those whispers will, will be repeated all over town. You might remember I told a story last week about 
the chairman of the deacons in the church that I served in. Remember that story? If you didn't, it's a really good story. Go listen to it on the website from last week, all right? Uh, but the bottom line was he said to me, he wasn't very happy with me. Even though he was the chairman of the deacons, he, uh, he threatened my life. Literally threatened my life because God was saving black and Latino kids and they were coming to our church. He didn't like that very much. You see, the reality was he had had a mask on his life that people bought into. It was a duality of his life. People thought he was such a good man, they made him the chairman of the deacons. But when God began to work in the hearts of black and Latino kids, his mask began to slip, didn't it? And the ugly sin nature of his heart came out. And they got to see him for who he really was, a racist. And somebody who was not for the things of God, he was for his own heart and his own sinfulness. See, this verse says, at some point the mask will slip and people will find out who we really are. And let, let me tell you something from experience this morning. Being fake is exhausting. I know. I know. It's exhausting, you guys. Listen. You go around going, now, what lie have I told over here to seem like I'm the... I make sure I've told the right one. And what... Okay, how have I deceived over here? Like, I make sure that I'm in the same... It's exhausting. There's this unbelievable freedom and grace when we own our stuff and we just say, hey, you know what? I'm a mess. <laughs> but Jesus is changing me. He's discipling me. He's making me into an authentic follower and learner and student of Jesus and the way of Jesus. And yeah, I've made some big mistakes. I'll be the first to tell you. There's this unbelievable freedom. Unbelievable freedom coming from owning who we are. Listen, church, can I just encourage us? No more scheming. No more masks. No more secrets. Enter the freedom of Jesus. Here's two words that we use in the church a lot. Convert and disciple. Right? I want you to be real clear about something. The word convert and the word disciple do not mean the same thing. They don't mean the same thing. Let me give you an example. And I'm very excited to tell you this about this example. So this past Monday night, you know, we do a food pantry every other week on Monday nights. This past Monday night, you know, we do devotionals. Brother Jerry does them most of the time. I do some sometimes. We have a little music. Bert did some music for us. Thank you, Bert. And then I just gave a little devotional about the woman at the well. And this doesn't always happen in our food pantry, but for whatever reason, the Lord used the truth of the story that the woman had a greater need than her physical need. She had a, a spiritual need, and I just shared that to the people. And the Holy Spirit, I just felt a connection that they were hearing me deeper than here. You know what I mean? They were hearing me here. And I just moved forward and said, hey, you know what? I just want to pray for you. And if you want to pray that the Lord would be the leader of your life, that he would forgive you of your sin, and you want to live a life that honors him, and you're tired of going your way and doing your way, you want to trust him to be your savior. Would you pray this prayer with me or pray a prayer like it as I pray? I did, just kind of went in that direction. We prayed. And then I said, you know, I, this is crazy for me to ask. I said, but can I just ask you, if you prayed that and you really meant it and you want Jesus to lead your life and you prayed that just now, would you just raise your hand? Y'all hands went up around the room. They went up around the room and I was so taken aback. I kind of did something once, but I started counting out loud. I went, one, two, three, four. <laughs> 
I got to 15 people that were holding their hand up confidently. I just made that commitment to Jesus. Praise God. But let me give you an example here. Those are converts. They're not disciples just yet. Those are converts. They've made a decision. Oh, and listen, even if one was a true decision to follow Jesus, praise God. But those are converts. They're not disciples, right? A disciple, the word disciple means to learn, to be a learner, to be a student, to be growing. James put it this way again in the message so we can hear it a little differently than we're used to. James 2.19 says, Do I hear you professing to believe in the one and only God, but then observe you complacently sitting back as if you'd done something wonderful? That's just great. Demons do that. What good does it do them? Another translation says, well, even the demons believe and they shudder. You see, when Jesus would come to somebody who was demon-possessed, the first people, the first creature to acknowledge who he was, it wasn't his disciples, it was the demons. Because they knew who he was. They knew he was the king of the world. They knew beyond a shadow of a doubt. I think about the, the possessed, the incredibly demon-possessed man at the Gerizines, and Jesus walks up to him, and the demons say, Master, king of the world, please don't cast us from this man. You see, here's the deal. Even the demons believe Jesus is the king of the world. But they're not disciples. You can have a belief system that Jesus is who he is and not be a disciple of Jesus or a convert of Jesus. It's not enough just to believe the demons did that. Our faith is not in just what we believe. It's in how we live and who we are. And let me, listen carefully this morning. If it's not this morning, if it's not in how you live or who you are, my friend, you need to be asking yourself a very serious question today. Do I know him? Do I know him? Is he my savior? Or have I just had a belief system? If somebody asked me on the street, do you believe in God? Yeah. It doesn't make you a disciple. It sure doesn't make you an authentic disciple of Jesus. Here's the thing I, I, I don't think you can fake. I don't think you can fake repentance. What is repentance? It's change. It's change. Because Jesus calls us to a life of giving ourselves up. And when we truly do that, when we truly give ourselves up to his plans, his desires, his will, you don't fake that. And when your life really changed, my parents watched my life change in, in high school. They watched my life transform. You can't fake Repentance. When you sin, is there godly sorrow? Where if you just surrendered yourself to this, hey, this is my life, this is what I do. Ask yourself the difficult question this morning, do I really know him? I'm thankful that God allows difficult circumstances in our life. I really am. Because it's in the storms, it's in the struggles, it's in the difficulties that God helps us truly see our spiritual condition. It is. This is the way Peter puts it. 1 Peter 1, 7 says, pure gold put in the fire comes out of it uh, proved pure. Genuine faith put through this suffering comes out proved genuine. When Jesus wraps this all up, 
It's, it's your faith, not your gold, that God will have on display as evidence of his glory. You see, here's the thing I know about every one of us. You have walked through some difficulty. You have walked through some heartache. So the question is, what is the thing that broke you? I love this statement. I heard it a few years ago that says, it doesn't matter the size of the boulder that crushes you if you're still crushed. At the time, I had walked through being laid off, being, being let go from the place. I was devastated. But I felt guilty about being crushed about it. I thought, no, this is not a divorce. This is not a death of a love. This is just a job. I can get another job. This is... And I heard that on the radio. It doesn't matter the size of the boulder that crushes you if you're still crushed. Listen, if your heart has been crushed, here is the question. On the other side of the crushing, did you come out more like Jesus? Did you go through that fire and get refined? Proved more genuine? Proved more in love? Or listen, did you come out with more struggle, more sin, more doubt? Because there's a saying that says, when you walk through stuff, you're going to get bitter, you're going to get better, right? What happened in your life? Because you've all walked through it. If you haven't, you will. Will we get bitter or will we get better? Will we be drawn closer to Jesus or will we move away from him? The fire helps determine who we really are in him. I know for me, in that season of my life in high school when I was putting up a wall and a front and being two different people, the Lord brought me to a very uh, difficult place and I almost died. I believe in all my heart that I almost died one night. That was serious enough the next morning for me to say, Lord, <laughs> you have given me the chance to live. You have spared my life and I will live for you. I will stop what I'm doing. I will stop going my own way. I'll stop faking being two people and I may be a mess, but you know what, Lord? I'm going to be your mess <laughs> and you're going to change me and you're going to help me grow into be something more than, I'm, than I am right now. So the difficulty that you walk through, the, the serious moment of your life can be a life-changing moment. It can be a life-changing moment. I put on your, uh, on your bulletin this morning a few things for you to write down. I think this is what authentic discipleship looks like. These are just a few notes for us to talk over this morning. Here's the first one. I think authentic discipleship looks like self-awareness about your weakness. Do you know your weaknesses? Do you know what they are? A few years ago, I was serving on a church staff, and, and we went on a retreat. The elders went on a retreat. And uh, the lead pastor said, hey, uh, guys, what we're going to do is we're going to go around and we're going to give three things to each other that we really admire and love about that person. And then we're going to give one thing that's a blind spot that, that we don't see. For some reason, the first part sounded a lot better than the second. And I'll be honest with you, I cannot remember to this day one compliment, <laughs> but I remember the critique. Isn't that crazy? It just shows how many compliments we get, and we go, okay, well, thanks, and then, but the critique is what changed my life. Every one of those men said, Drew, it seems like you get defensive. And I remember at first just kind of going, I can't believe he said that. I remember the first person that said that, I thought, wow, really? And then the second person said it, and I went, really? 
And the third person, I said, oh. And the fourth person said, I went, oh, Lord. You see, I loved and trusted those men. I was in community with them. And they loved me enough to be honest with me. And to this day, I know that one of my weaknesses is getting defensive. My wife helps me with it. She does. I know that to this day, it's something I can go to. Do you know what your weakness is? And do you have people in your life to help bring it out and help you see it? Because trust me, you don't know what you don't know. Here's the second thing. Being brutally honest about your sinfulness. Be brutally honest about your sinfulness. If you're going to sin in your life today, what's that going to be? I think you know. We all know the areas that we struggle in sin. Be brutally honest about it. Own it and say, God, I know that if, if I'm going to sin today, it's going to be too much alcohol. Or God, if I'm going to sin today, it's going to be because I have a porn addiction or I'm, I'm struggling in this area. I'm going to spend too much money. I'm going to overeat. I don't, what, I don't know what your advice is. But can we be brutally honest about what it is? Because it's until... Until we're brutally honest, we can't be an authentic disciple. We're, putting, we're, doing, two, we're doing the two-faced thing. We're saying, oh, no, I'm a good guy. Back here, you're broken. Back here in the reality of who you are is, is not, it's not true. Let's be one person and be brutally honest about our sinfulness and call it what it is. Let's own it. Here's the next thing. Let's live in the light, not hide in the dark. Our ancestors, Adam and Eve, from the very first moment that they sinned, they ran to hide. They ran to hide. God knew right where they were, and yet they thought they could hide, and we do the very same thing. We sin and we hide, and we think, you know what, if people just don't know this struggle in my life, then I'll be okay, and I can maintain this mask, this wall, this smokescreen, this false identity. Listen, I just say to you, my friend, Step into the light. Step into the light and say, you know what, God? This is my brokenness. This is my weakness. This is my sinfulness. You already know it. So step into the light with God and with people. You can do that in small groups. And they can help pull you from the dark to the light. I believe it. Here's the next thing. Knowing your true identity in Christ. Do you truly know your identity in Christ? Because so many of us identify our lives by what we've done, or who we've been, or what we do in our job, or who we know, or our title, or our position, or whatever the case may be. Where is your identity? Where does it lie? Where does your identity lie? Don't try and find it somewhere else, because the only place that matters is in Jesus, being a son or daughter of the Most High God. That's enough. That's enough. And instead, we, we try to find our identity in so many places and we'll come up short every time. You can't be an authentic disciple unless your identity is completely in Jesus. Here's the next thing. Surrender his, to his will over your own. It's not an easy one to learn, by the way. Surrendering to his will and not your own. You know what? Even when it comes to your dreams... Even when it comes to the thing that's most precious to you, if you don't surrender it, it's an idol. If you don't let go of it, if you don't loosen your grip on that thing, whatever it is, 
The thing that's most precious to you, if you don't loosen your grip on it, it's an idol. Let's let go. Let's surrender. Even if it's your dream. Listen, I say that because that was my story. Even my dream. I didn't see my dream com- realize the way I thought God would let me see it. And you know what? It's okay. Because his dream for me is bigger than mine. His dream for you is bigger and better than yours. But you have to surrender your plan, your will. Here's the last thing. It's kind of an obvious thing for an authentic disciple in Jesus. We have to be obedient. We have to be obedient. It's not an option. We talked about the last couple of weeks about loving God. Loving, to say we love God doesn't really do anything. To live that we love God, now that's the truth. We have to be obedient to Jesus. He says this in Matthew 7, 13. He says, don't look for shortcuts to God. This is again the message. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff, even though crowds of people do. The way to life, to God, is vigorous and requires total attention. Be wary of false preachers who smile a lot, (laughs) dripping with practiced sincerity. Chances are they're out to rip you off some way or other. Don't be impressed with charisma. Look for character. Who preachers are is the main thing, not what they say. A genuine leader will never exploit your emotions or your pocketbook. These diseased trees with their bad apples are going to be chopped down and burned. Knowing the correct password saying, master, master, for instance, isn't going to get you anywhere with me, Jesus says. What is required is serious obedience, doing what my Father wills. I can see it now at the final judgment. Thousands strutting up to me, saying, master, we preached the message, we bashed the demons. Our God-sponsored projects had everyone talking. And do you know what I'm going to say? You missed the boat. All you did was use me to make yourselves important. Mm. You don't impress me one bit. You're out of here. Some of your translations say, I never knew you. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. Homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words Words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you're like a smart carpenter who built his house on a solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you are like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. See, Jesus is saying, there is an easy way. It's broad and leads to destruction. There's a way that a lot of people are going. In fact, we're being marketed to, I think, seven times a minute in our culture about this easy, broad way. That is not God's way. God's way is, according to the way Peterson puts it, it's vigorous and it takes total attention narrow it's a difficult way that wide way it doesn't take any sacrifice it takes no commitment total attention to follow God's way it's not an easy path it says that preachers anybody but it calls us out 
Preachers, pastors can be fake. They can be fake. Look for the character in their lives, not just what they say. Look for the good fruit. One of my favorite teachers and theologians of our day is Tim Keller. And he says there's three traits in this text of Scripture that I want to, I want to tell you. He said there are three traits that can be true of authentic Christians, and they can also be true of inauthentic Christians. I want to bring them out and show them to you. Here's the first one. Remember when the person, Jesus said, I can see him strutting up to me? And they say, and he says, they even know the password. I like the way Peterson puts that. They know the password, master, master. Remember when he said that? Or in some of your translations, Lord, Lord. You see, inauthentic Christians and authentic Christians can both can both believe Jesus is God, just as the demons. Here's the second thing. They can both be emotionally invested, and here's what I mean. In Jewish culture, when you wanted to get somebody's attention or when you wanted to address them, you didn't just say, Martha, as Jesus did when he came to Martha with Lazarus' death. He said, Martha, Martha. In other words, when there was... Um, Emotion implied, when there was passion implied, they would say the name twice. Martha, Martha, I, I want you to hear me being emotionally connected to you. I want you to hear the concern. So knowing that, now let's go back to the text where Jesus says, they're going to come to me and say, Master, Master. Inauthentic Christians or disciples and authentic disciples can be leaving God and they can be even emotionally invested Here's the one that scares me to death. And it should you too. The next one says, they can even be active in ministry. They can be active in ministry. They came to Jesus and said, Master, we, we preached the message. We bashed those demons and we did God projects that everybody was talking about. And yet Jesus said they weren't authentic disciples. You can believe in him. You can be impassioned, emotional, and you can even be in ministry, doing the work of ministry and not be an authentic Christian. Now listen, the absence of these traits, I think it means you're not an authentic Christian. But even with these things, doesn't mean that you are. Doesn't mean that you are. There's two issues, and we're going to close this morning. Two issues that he comes down and he begins, I love this description of building a house. The first issue is lordship. People who are authentic disciples, they're going to do the will of the Father, right? That's what he says, you'll be obedient. It takes obedience, doing the Father's will. That's what demarks an authentic disciple. They do the Father's will. You're willing to surrender your will for God. The example given in this text, these people that come up and say, Master, Master, See, what they want is they want the benefits of being an authentic disciple without the commitment. They want the benefits of being an authentic believer without the surrender, without letting go of control. Here's the second issue, grace. Is your everything, is your house built on grace? This is what I mean. This is what Jesus says. Is your house built on the rock of Jesus? The other's built on the sand. It's its own foundation, its own work. When we trust our lives to his grace, we're connecting to the rock 
the solid rock of Jesus, right? The immovable, unchanging, solid foundation of what our lives can be connected to. We didn't build it, right? We, uh, G, the rock is not ours. We're connecting our lives to it. and We're saying, I will be built. Everything I believe, everything I have, everything I, I, I'm connected to will be built on the solid rock of Jesus. And I think, listen, when we are, when we have a good understanding, a good grasp of the grace of God, we won't just be willing to change the name of a church, we'll be willing to change whatever. To be connected to Jesus, to make disciples, because that's the why. We'll be, we'll be willing to do whatever God asks us to do. We can't just put up a front, we can't just put up a facade. Go through the motions, because when we do, we're going to fall. Listen, I, I think this is interesting. I love going to the beach with my family on vacation when we can. It's one of my favorite places to sit and admire the, the beauty of God. And I think it's interesting that Jesus uses that place, the sandy beach, to give us an example of when we build a house, when we build all that we are in a place with a nice view, but we're not willing to do the hard work of a foundation in Jesus. <laughs> you, want the, you want the view, you want the benefit, but you're not willing to connect your life to his, your house is going to fall. It's going to fall. Here's the last point this morning. It's not enough to just be or become an authentic disciple. That's a good thing. And for too long, our churches and we in church have focused, man, I just got to get better. I just got to learn the word. I've just got to teach. I've, I've got, you know, it's not just enough just to receive. We have to give. That's why our vision statement says that we're becoming authentic disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who it ought to just be this recurring thing it's not enough just to take it in for ourselves it's not just witnessing it's not just making converts I got so excited Monday night I forgot to tell them the next steps of anything I just said 15 wow all right let's go to the food pantry so at the next food pantry we're going to say hey let's tell you the next steps of this this is not enough to be a convert. We'd love for you to be a disciple. We'd love to baptize you. We'd love for you to walk out life here no matter what hang-up you might have. Jesus didn't say, go into all the world and make converts. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. And then he qualified what that means. Baptizing them teaching them all the things that I've taught you. Everybody's a missionary, you know that? I love, the first time I heard that was in a little Oswald Chambers devotional. He calls us many times in my utmost for his highest that we're missionaries. And I remember kind of thinking, oh, I thought Brother Jerry was a missionary. Not me. The reality is, if you're an authentic disciple of Jesus, you're a missionary. He's called you to go. Sometimes we think, well, you know, my part in this is I'll just, I'll give a little bit. And that'll be, that'll be how I, nope. I, we appreciate your giving towards missions. But Jesus did not say, give to the people who are going to go into all the world and make disciples. Did he? He said, go. Some of you are going, how do I do that? I promise you, if you say, Lord, would you present an opportunity? 
for me to tell somebody not only just about you, but how to be more like you, I believe he'll give it to us. I do. I believe it with all my heart. Our calling, according to Ephesians 4, is that we equip the saints. That's what the word says. As pastors, we're called to equip you for the work of the ministry. Some of you are like, wait, I thought I just kind of came in. I just got to show. The donuts are really awesome. It's our job to help equip you, and you do the work of the ministry. We do the work of the ministry together. I'll give you this last, last thought, and then we're going to be done. 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 2 says this. He says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul is saying, listen, you've heard me teach, you've heard me share, you've heard me explain what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Now go and teach others so that they can go and teach others. That's God's call for our lives. My prayer, my, my heartfelt prayer for us, church, is that we would love God with all of our hearts, our mind, our strength, our souls, that we would love people and that by his grace we'll do that by becoming authentic disciples who make disciples. That's what we want our church to be, a disciple-making church full of authentic people who are desperate for a good, loving, forgiving, grace-filled God. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord Jesus, thank you that uh, we don't have to figure out how to get this done today. <laughs> God, I'm so thankful this morning, I can't even begin to put into words how thankful I am that I don't have to live two lives anymore. I don't have to put up a front and try and be something I'm not anymore. And so even the thought of being inauthentic, God, in some way, it, it, it makes me nauseous. And so the reality is, is that leaves me imperfect. It leaves me in need of your grace. It leaves me without all the answers and without all the understanding. But that's okay. Because I'm becoming the disciple you want me to become. Lord Jesus, can your people this morning embrace our mistakes and our weaknesses and our struggles? And can we be proved through the difficulties of our lives to know you more, to love you more, and on the other side, come out more genuine, more authentic as the disciples you want us to be. Now, God, my prayer this morning is that there may be people in this room, within the sound of my voice as there were, was on Monday night, that would say, you know what? I'm not an authentic disciple. I might have been a convert or I'm, I don't know. I, I might have just had a belief system like those demons. But it's not enough to be an authentic disciple. So, Lord, right now, as, as you're speaking to our hearts, Holy Spirit, as you're moving in us, would you move us to know you, to surrender to you, to come into the light and out of the dark? Would you help us, God? Even in this time as we sing a little bit, Lord, if people need to come and pray, if they need to come and, and, and seek some counsel, or one of us as pastors to pray with them, we would love to do that. But God, would you help us to be real 
and to drop the masks and drop the schemes and the fronts and just be who we are, a broken people in need of the grace of Jesus. We love you so much. It's only by your grace that we stand and we sing and we become who you want us to be. We bless you this morning in Jesus' precious name. Amen.